Uh, service at the lake this morning was uh, just amazing. Had a, had a great crowd, a, a big crowd. Uh, pastor estimate, what, 300? 50 or 60, I'll go with that. But really, just a great crowd. Man, some amens and hallelujahs and excitement. And uh, we had church. We had church. Thanks, Stan and Debbie and Angela for uh, leading the worship time down there. And uh, it's a great ministry, folks. It's a great ministry. So uh, praise God we've been getting the opportunity to participate. And I just want to show something real quick. We need to get started here. Uh, but I, I still handwrite my sermon notes. I, I cannot get a thought to go from here to a keyboard. It has to pass through a pencil. That's just the way it is. And so Connie, bless her heart, types my final draft. Well, I want to, this, this has to frustrate her though. I want you to see what happens to one of her final drafts after I get done preparing for a message. Can, can, I scribbled all over it. So I, I'm wondering, why did I have her type that, you know? But uh, anyway, honey, thank you very much for all your work, no matter how little I use it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And I also want to announce that uh, Connie will be participating in a, in, a, in a new ministry, a new opportunity. Uh, nursery is now provided for Sunday school hour. There will be nursery available for Sunday school hour if couples, uh, if young families, whoever wants to, to bring their little ones. Uh, and that goes up to two. Is that correct? From, from zero to two years old. Uh, then they go, uh, the toddlers move on. But uh, as this ministry develops and grows, uh, we're going to be needing some more help, you know, for rotation. But uh, for right now, we just want you to know that nursery is provided for the Sunday school hour. All right. I really wanted to preach a 4th of July message, but I was restrained, and I mean that very sincerely. I was restrained by the Holy Spirit. I figured we would have a good time of celebration, which we have. Thank you, Marshall and the praise team for leading us in that, uh, bringing to remembrance uh, the founding principles of this great nation and continuing to pray for this nation because she is in deep trouble, deep trouble. And what an opportunity, what a time for the church to be the light that so needs to be illuminated into the darkness that surrounds us and at times seems to encompass us. So I decided to continue with this message, with the series that we've been preaching. It's actually the last one. And we're going to talk about the glory of Christ this morning. Can we do that? Let's talk about the glory of Christ. And I think once we capture, once we lay hold of this truth, it's another element in our relationship with Christ that compels us to tell others about him. Because if we don't share the hope that we have, then it just kind of makes us wonder how valuable is that hope. Is it worth sharing or not? And this morning I hope we find out that it is worth sharing. Our text is going to begin in John 17. Actually, it's going to end in John 17. But I want us to have a little bit of background. Jesus is, is, is praying. And this is often called the high priestly prayer. It's, it's in more reality, the Lord's prayer. 
okay? Whereas the Lord's Prayer is more accurately the disciples' prayer. So we're going to be looking at John 17, the very last part of it. Jesus opens up this prayer by praying for himself, literally. He's praying for himself. He's interceding. He's talking to the Father about the hour. Then he moves to his disciples, those closest around him. And he prays specifically for his disciples. Then in the third portion of this prayer, is where we're going to pitch our tent this morning, he prays for us. Now, folks, that in itself ought to just amaze us. It ought to just strike us with awe and wonder that Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Son of God, Most High God, is praying for each one of us by name. By name. Let's stand as we join Jesus in his prayer. John chapter 17. We're going to begin reading in verse 20. We'll read through the end of the chapter. I do not ask for these only. In other words, this, those immediate disciples, immediate people around him. Who, uh, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Hello, church. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Father, we pray for the blessings that only you can bring to be upon the reading of your word. And that the Holy Spirit will take these words of Scripture, inscribe them upon our hearts, into our minds. And Father, we're not here to just acquire information. We're here to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and be transformed in the process. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The main theme here is glory. The main theme is the glorification of Christ. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. He does not say, I will give them. Do you notice that? I will give Because in the plan of God, the believer has already been glorified. Romans 8 and verse 30. This is another proof of the security of the believer. When God looks at us, when he sees us, he sees us in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Everything that Christ has accomplished for us is accomplished in us when we believe in him as Lord and Savior. So in effect, we have already been glorified. We're just waiting to be there. Christ also prays for the unity of the church. There's, there's, a, there's a great difference, and Wiersbe puts this best. He says there's a vast difference between unity, oneness of heart and spirit, and uniformity, everybody exactly alike. 
Now, we got to be careful, church. we got to be careful in this because sometimes we think of unity as everybody being like me. And that isn't the way we come to Christ. We come to Christ as we are. And God takes that being, that person, as he or she is and makes them into the person he wants them to be. And so there is very much individuality within the church, but there is unity in the church as long as we're one in Christ. We model the Holy Trinity. But they cannot guarantee unity if there's just uniformity. I'm sure that many of you, some of you here, uh, remember the great migration to California in the uh, uh, 70s, mid to late 70s especially. Everybody was heading out. Well, not everybody. I didn't go. Did anybody go out there with the hippies? Anyway, there was this great migration of people, of young people, of youth, and they were headed west to find themselves. Isn't that something? Now, I want you to think about that for a minute because that's the exact opposite of what God calls us to do. He calls us to lose ourselves. I tell people, don't go looking for yourself. If you happen to find him, you're going to be disappointed. We need to lose ourselves and be found complete and whole in Christ. But there was this movement of individuality where everybody wanted to be different. So they all dressed the same and talked the same language and smoked the same dope. And <laughs> I, dig <laughs> I digress a bit. Unity is the call of Christ in this prayer. And moving on, and we must move quickly. Before we move on, I want to draw your attention to verse 24. Now, I didn't have them put this on the screen. I'm going to read it. And I'm going to read it out of King James. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Did you notice a change in words from the, AS, uh, the ESV and NASB and whatever version of the Bible you're in? I will. I will. It's the same verb, the same word in verse 24 as it is in verse 26. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known. So the Greek word can be translated this way. I will, I desire, I want, I intend, I determine. You see how important this verse becomes now? Where ESV and other common translations say determine or desire, desire is a common one. It's more powerful than that. I will. The will of Christ. The will of Christ is that we will be with him in glory. Does that just turn your crank or not? The high priestly prayer. In other words, it doesn't mean I hope, I wish. It means it will happen. Amen? It will happen. Point number one. Why is this prayer so important? First of all, it's a preeminent prayer because it's being expressed by the preeminent prayor. We must understand who the prayor is before we understand or comprehend the power of the prayer. 
ultimate authority, all authority. Hebrews writes, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of the better covenant. Hallelujah. Guarantor. The former priest were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's who's praying for us, folks. That's who's praying for us right now. In the children's sermon, we talked about goodness and, and, and the struggle to be good. And obviously, we know that that is impossible because our nature is too tainted. And we cannot measure to the goodness of God's expectations of holiness. No way, no how. But Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding for us before the Father. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. Paul writes in Romans 8, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And John writes in his first epistle that Jesus is our advocate before the Father, our own personal advocate sitting at the right hand of God the Father, position of authority, interceding for all the saints and each one of the saints. It is a preeminent prayer because the preeminent one is praying. Amen. Point two. It is a prayer that guarantees a permanent preparation. Now, as you're sharing these points, maybe with each other or something, be careful not to get too close. Okay. Father, I desire, I will, I determine that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. The power of this statement is beyond comprehension, my friends. We can't possibly grasp the fullness of what that statement means. Jesus desires, wills, intends, wants, determined that every born-again believer will be where he is. Hello, glory. Hello, glory. This brings us to the sermon title. I, I wrestled with the title. I wrote, I wadded up, and I threw away multiple titles. I run out of sticky notes, and finally I just wrote, glory. Glory. I can't describe it. It's beyond my comprehension, but I know that's where Christ is, and I know wherever glory is, Christ is, and where Christ is, glory is. And so there is the title of the sermon, Glory. To be with Jesus is to be in heaven. To be in heaven is to behold his glory. Jesus is the glory of heaven. No matter how beautiful heaven may be, it isn't about being in heaven. It's about being with Jesus. And apart from him, there will be no glory in heaven. Take Jesus out of heaven, you got no glory. The old, the old Puritan uh, 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 saint and, and, and please understand this in, in the, for the impact that it was intended. He said, I would rather be in hell with Jesus than in heaven without him. The point is, it's all about Christ, folks. It's all about Jesus. 
So apart from him, there would be no glory in heaven. Heaven would be a place with no glory if Jesus was not there. And this is what Jesus said in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to be take you to myself that where I am you may be also isn't that powerful I go to prepare and I will come back because I want you to be with me could somebody just say hallelujah every believer I'm going to ask you to do this I want us to, to get this down to the personal level of where it belongs. This is, this is from the ESV version. That's the Elvin Simple version. Okay? Let me say it, and then we're going to say it together. Jesus wants to spend eternity with me. Are you ready? Jesus wants to spend eternity with me. Wow. Wow. You know, if we can't say that, if, if we can say that without some level of emotion just kind of welling up inside us, I'm not sure we get it. Jesus wants to spend eternity with Elvin Dillard. Why? Why? But it's true. And for every believer, every believer, Jesus wants to spend eternity with you. To be with Jesus is to see him in all of his glory. Glory is not an attribute. It is his essence. He is glory. Everything about him is glory. He has been glorified in heaven with the Father. Heaven's glory and beauty is Jesus Christ our Lord. And he has made everything ready for our arrival. Point number three. We have a preeminent prayer. We have a permanent preparation. But what about his present participation? Verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is making himself known to the world right now through every believer. Through every believer. We are his expression here on this earth. The words that we say, the life that we live, how we face trouble. And, and I think Brian was talking this morning about the difficult times and how we face that is a testimony into the greatness of Christ. The hope that we have in death is the evidence of the glory of Christ in us that the world may see that he is worthy of all honor and praise. He is doing it through love and the manifestation of his glory through the church. 
And unity is an expression of his love and his glory. Disunity defiles his name, destroys our testimony, and diverts us from our mission. May I say that again? Disunity defiles his name, destroys our testimony, and diverts us from our mission. Matthew 28 and 18 through 20, common verse known by many. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Wow! Christ is presently active. So listen to me very carefully, church, by the authority of God's word and the consistency of his promise and presence, God isn't done with us yet. We're still here. And when we look and we see and we hear what's going on in this nation and we, are, we tend to be discouraged, we tend to be aggravated, we tend to be angry, God's still on the throne. God's still on the throne. And you know what? He hadn't fretted one bit. He hasn't fretted at all. And Christ is there interceding for us. You remember Peter was, was, was told by Christ himself, Peter, listen, Satan has asked to sift you. He's asked to sift you like grain, like wheat. But Peter, take heart. Why, Peter? Because I am praying for you. Come on, church. What have we to fear? What have we to worry about? God's on the throne. Jesus is sitting there. I don't know. I, can he twiddle his thumbs? I mean, I mean, he's busy. He's praying, you know. But uh, he's coming back when, when, when God the Father's done. When this church age is over, he's going to come back. And I will be with you, present participation through the divine presence of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1, 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And listen to these words. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Glory. Amen. Amen. Permanent prayer, or preeminent prayer, permanent preparation, present participation. It is a prayer that secures his perpetual promise. This is proven by the emphasis on our relationship with Christ. I am going to ask now that that scripture be placed on the screen, please. And I would like us all to read together. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in my, me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, 
you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The word of God to his people. If we are one with Christ, then we are one with God the Father. The Father and the Son are one, and the Holy Spirit, through regenerating and sanctifying power, makes us one with the Father and the Son. Therefore, we are also one with one another. Unity. We are talking about relationships. Relationships. And what can rip that apart? As we conclude this time together, what could possibly alter that union? If we have been brought into such an intimate relationship through our faith in Christ Jesus, what could interrupt that? What could tear it apart? What could, dis what, what could destroy it? Well, let's read from Romans 8 and find out. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You see, this is repeated to our scripture. Here it is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Glory, glory, hallelujah. An ancient document called the Heidelberg Confession, written in 1563, asks the question, what is your comfort, excuse me, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And I think that's the question everybody needs to answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Here's the answer 
according to the Heidelberg Confession, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What is your only comfort in life and death? You see, if you long for heaven, you're missing it. You're missing it. Our ultimate goal, our ultimate longing is to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. D.L. Moody said this. Said that when he gets to heaven, he wanted to sit with Jesus for a thousand years. And then he might ask, where's Paul? <laughs> what he meant is the greatest thing about heaven, well, to be with Jesus, to be with Jesus. Do you long to be with Jesus and see his glory? I'm not talking about a, a, an unhealthy death wish. <laughs> I'm talking about absolute assurance and faith and hope that whenever this life is over, I know where I'll be. I know where I'll be. And it's not because I did all the right things to get there. It's because Jesus did all things right for me. And now I can be with him forever. And he desires that. He wills that to be true. Words of an old song, face to face with Christ my Savior, Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Father, I pray that through these words, the words of Scripture, through your words spoken to us today, we'll have a renewed sense of the hope that you have given us, the joy that we share. And that, Father, there will be a deep longing, a deep, deep longing to be with Jesus because that will compel us to tell others about that hope that we have. So, Father, I pray that you have your way, your will, in this part of the body of Christ called Grace Community Church. And, Father, I pray that we leave here today with a renewed confidence that we can make a difference in a dark and dying world because of Christ's glory in us. We will testify to his greatness and his glory through the changes that he's made in our own hearts. To you alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory, honor, and praise because you alone are worthy. In Christ's name, amen. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that today you would hear the Spirit's calling, that you would hear his voice, and that you would come and surrender and find true freedom on this Independence Day weekend. Because Jesus said, you'll know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Maybe you'd like to join this fellowship. You say, boy, those people are nuts. I think I'd like to be a part of it. Well, I hope that we can all say we're just crazy in love with Jesus. We're just crazy in love with Jesus. We may be crazy, but we're crazy in love. Amen? Amen. And you say, you know what? I'd like to make this my home to grow along with all the rest of these folks. And that's what we're doing. We're growing together. We're growing together in the grace and the mercies of Christ. All I can.